good to see the screen populating. I'll invite the bell here in a moment, which will be, of course, our invitation uh, to sit together. And I'll say, um, I had a, quite a number of um, responses from um, from last week's offering <clears throat> that were uh, encouraging, not <laughs> not criticisms or or concerns. So, uh, as we sit, uh, I do want to offer a little bit of um, just guidance in the sitting which um, will reflect uh, some of where we, some of the exploration that we enjoyed last week together, and then um, they will go forward. In our sitting together, we begin to settle <clears throat> into the simplicity of silence and stillness. Just resting with the breath and, and with each other, with the body that we find ourselves in. as if we're practicing not doing anything in particular and to learn to tolerate the not doing and the not knowing 
to step into curiosity and possibility of opening to what is. Sitting as a small ceremony of appreciation the spaciousness, the emptiness and groundlessness, and yet the possibility. It's as if we're mindfully and tenderly and very kindly disassembling our ordinary ways of being in the world. It happens anyway in those moments at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night. When you've been disassembled, you're not fully reconstituted and everything moves into that dark space, it can be very anxiety producing. And in the morning we reassemble ourselves and organize ourselves to meet each day. So sitting like this can sometimes have a shadow of that sense of falling apart or everything's okay. Sometimes if you take a small glance at the others on the screen, you can be reminded that you're in good company. Can we simply arrive with a wholehearted attention? Like a, a small child, an infant or a toddler who discovers something and is fascinated. Totally focused on what's captured the child's attention, full of wonder and awe. What is this for us now? This softly focused attention and vast expanding awareness. And that soft attention and that spacious awareness meets all the parts of us that don't feel vast or at ease, that don't feel focused. But together, all of us are holding a wide, wide possibility. A bigger heart, a bigger mind, one body.
emptying ourselves in a certain way, less involved in our stories. Stepping into fresh territory, new ground. And it doesn't need the name spiritual, it's just fresh, alive. And in this kind of space, and with each ordinary breath, we can touch the vulnerable, embodied experience of impermanence, coming, going. That beautiful creative, shaky edge of the aliveness, the empty fullness that each moment offers. Empty of individuality and separateness, full of everything. Just breathing. Maybe there's no consolation which we sometimes hope for, other than the shared loving presence which we're manifesting among us right now. What if this kind of meeting in silence and stillness with the soft, vulnerable attention is the opening we've been seeking? It's a bit of a mystery full of possibility that we don't control or are not in charge of. A surprise, possibility. Could this be the gateway to boundlessness and completeness? which all the teachings point toward. sitting just like this, immersed in the questions themselves, is the immediate raw experience of the teachings directly. Not simply hearing the teachings, which is useful, or sharing the stories, which can be inspiring, reciting the Dharma, which can be empowering, but remaining still at this edge,
without so much reliance on our carefully crafted, constructed selves. With each breath nudging the edge of everything we think we know. And without fighting our small selves wanting to be big, wanting to be the whole thing. We're human, so we live with the longing, with the wanting. Can it just be like your heartbeat or like the breath? Just something that comes along with being human. Wanting, wanting. Just the pulse of human vulnerability. softening even our want to stop the wanting. Maybe we don't want enough. Maybe we only want small things to pacify us or numb us to pain temporarily. What if we wanted it all? To return to the natural state of awakeness, wakefulness that's within, within all of us. <clears throat> and just sitting now together, we are enacting this wakefulness in the midst of everything. This is it. And in the verse of the robe, hear the echo of all of this as we use our voices. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being.
you know, whatever the situation or whatever the setting, um, online or in person, or in retreat or sitting on our back porch, this practice invites us to sit with these kinds of questions. This is what we're practicing. <clears throat> these kinds of questions that open um, open ourselves to each other and, and, and to ourselves and not the kind of questions that are going to lead us to some certainty or pretend like there's some solid ground that we're finally going to reach. It's the bad news. But... And remember that we're not doing meditation. We're not like, okay, now we're going to, how many, how many people ask you, you know, if you've, you've learned meditation, so you can like really relax and feel a lot better, right? There are meditations like that and they're, they're fantastic. Um, they'd be less stressed, but that's not exactly our practice. These questions are the gateways into the mystery and we can walk through those gateways together or alone in silence, in stillness, maybe carrying our questions with us as gifts. And I'll, I'll tell you, <clears throat> one of the most common questions that comes this way towards me often, because I choose to sit in this seat and take this role, is some version of when something is ended or somebody's come to an unexpected or difficult turn in the road, the question is always, well, how do I know what to do next? Right? You know this question. You, you've you probably ask me, <laughs> how do I know what to do next? And last week in a group that followed the inquiry <clears throat> in which we touched on these things a bit, uh, I heard myself say in response to someone asking that question, because we kind of pushed the edge of it a little bit. And I said with some force, not irritation or anger or anything, but it, like it just came up. I heard myself saying, you can't find what's next and then do it. You need to do what's next and you'll find it. And then somebody said, as they always do, what did you say? Say that again. It's like, what? I don't know what I said. <laughs> so, but thank God for uh, Ryan Stieglitz. He said, I wrote it down. So um, you can't find what's next and then do it. You need to do what's next and you'll find it. You can't find what's next. Got it. Then do it. You have to do the next thing and you'll find where that's leading you. So I, I thought, well, this sounds a bit like a <clears throat> one of those uh, commentaries on a koan. Some of you have read those old thing. It's the koan of what's next. But as you, if you look in the classic koan collections, there are a bunch of them actually. And I'm going to just barely mention, mention a couple of them just uh, to do my job as a Zen teacher and to, uh, to, uh, because they're a common one. Some of you know them. One of them is, uh, well, I, I'll tell you two of them from the Mumen Khan, the gateless gate. Case 46 is, um, the one you've probably heard of called uh, Step from the Top of a Hundred Foot Pole. So here's how the case goes in one translation. Uh, Sikisa, this teacher, says, How can you go on further or step off from the top of a hundred foot pole? Again, an ancient teacher said, One sitting on the top of a hundred foot pole, she's entered the way. But it's not yet, it's not yet the real thing. She must go on further from the top of the hundred foot pole and reveal her true self in the 10 directions. So, you know, what if you reach some sort of pinnacle? Suppose you have some awakening and you have, you learn a lot of things and you open up the teacher saying that's, that's not actually the whole deal. There's, there's achievement there and there's goodness there, 
In fact, a commentary in the collection on this case, uh, Mulan's commentary says, going on beyond the top of the pole and turning his body about, what is there to dislike or to praise? But even so, tell me how we proceed onwards from the top of a hundred foot pole. So if you were to step further beyond whatever you realize, is there anything he says to dislike or praise? In other words, everything belongs. Is there anything you're going to discard? You're not rising above it all and getting rid of all this, you know, messy human stuff. Uh, but if you take another step, what, where, where do you go? There's a verse that sometimes goes with this one. And I know I'm not spending a lot of time on this, but it's kind of interesting to hear these old stories in different language. Uh, the verse said, if the third eye in the forehead is darkened, and we may stake the star on the balance for the measurement, we throw away our body and soul and blindly lead other blind people. If, <clears throat> if, we, if we don't see with this, if we don't open ourselves, most fully, then we think the, on the balance, little start, we think the measure mark is it, but the, the mark isn't it. The PhD isn't it. The million dollars in the bank isn't it. The right partner, the right, isn't it. The mark isn't it. We mistake the star on the balance for, for measurement and we throw away our body and soul. And then we're like blind people leading other blind people. We want to reach the pinnacle and stay there. But that's, that's like the sales pitch of awakening. You know that one? Like, it goes like this. What, what you open to if you wake up is above it all. And once you're enlightened, you're always there. That's the sales pitch. But in this one, in the koan, the, the teacher is saying, she's entered the way, but it's not yet the real thing. Dogen in the Fukan Zazangi says, suppose one gains pride of understanding and inflates one's own enlightenment, glimpsing the wisdom that runs through all things, attaining the way, clarifying the mind, raising an aspiration to fill the whole sky. And then he says, if you do that, one is making the initial partial excursions about the frontiers but is still somewhat deficient in the vital way of total emancipation. A lot of words here, but suppose you do have this. Like, give me a break. You're saying, if I do that, I'm just in the suburbs. I'm not even there. Give me a break, you know. It says in the koan, she must go further from the top of the 100-foot pole, reveal her true self in the 10 directions. What? A token says, you should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words and following after speech and learn the backward step that turns your light inward to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away. The original face will be manifest. No speech, no understanding. Give me a break. Here we, here we are, you know. How do we reveal ourselves in the 10 directions? How do we, 10 directions, by the way, means, you know, up, down, right, left, back, you know, every direction, the whole thing. You can't find what's next and then do it. You have to do what's next and then find it. How do you step off? How do you go further than what you think is the limit? So while you're contemplating that, here's the other koan. It's case five in the Mumun Khan. Uh, Kyogen's man up a tree. This one's crazy. They're all crazy. Kyogen says, it's like a man or monk, a person, up a tree, hanging from a branch by his mouth. His hands can't grasp another branch. His feet don't reach the ground or another branch. And under the tree, there's another person who's asking him the meaning of the Dharma. If he doesn't answer, he's evading his duty to respond and help. But if he does, he's going to die. He's going to fall. What should he do? It's another give me a break moment, right? Because isn't how it is most of the time. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. 
Here's the commentary. Though your eloquence flows like a river. This seems like it's very damning to me, you know, trying to do my best here. Though your eloquence flows like a river, it's to no avail. Even if you can explain the whole body of the Buddhist sutras, that is also useless. If you can answer the problem properly, this is weird, you can kill the living and bring the dead back to life. But if you can't answer, you must ask Maitreya when he comes. Maitreya is the future Buddha. So it doesn't matter how well I speak or how well anyone else speaks or what we learn. If you can't answer the problem properly, if you can't figure out what to do, then it's a problem. But if you can answer it, then you can, he said, kill the living or bring the dead back to life. You can go beyond birth and death, basically. Birth and death are not. Can you, can you let go? If, first of all, why would a person be up a tree hanging out with their mouth? That's ridiculous. But doesn't it feel like that sometimes, the intensity of our clinging? Like hanging on for dear life? It's intense and it's vulnerable. And this is the same mouth that sought the breast as, as an infant? Longing for nourishment, clinging to life. That's a really vulnerable image. And the mouth that can be used to discuss words and teach and argue and persuade and rebuke, all the kind of clinging. It's really an apt image. Then what does it mean to let go in the service of life, but feels like death? If I don't find my way, I'm going to be annihilated. If I do something to respond to the world and find my way, I'm going to perish. But you know what? In the end, you're going to die either way. But does the clinging help? And then the third thing, if you can't answer the problems properly, uh, ask Maitreya, you know, if you can go beyond birth and death, then you are already in the future Buddha. You are already finding what's available to you, what this world offers you. You can't find what's next and then do it. You need to do what's next and then you can find it. Letting go, letting go, letting go. And one last story, which maybe is a little more homey, but once this is a mythology from, um, I don't know what tribe because I couldn't find it, but it's uh, from First Nations people. Um, I don't know if in Alaska or Canada, you know, Donna may know this, I don't know, but it's um, Robert Bly reports it and I've heard another Zen teacher report it. So here's one version of it. <clears throat> this, the, the myth revolves around a young woman who has had many, many difficulties in her life, um, like you have had in their life and in their relationships and, you know, everything's fallen apart. And so she ends up retreating because she's had it. This is like, give me a break. And she, in the mythology, she goes to what's called the moon palace. The moon palace. And a place where it's cool and it's safe and you can hang out in the moon palace and you can watch what's going down on earth. And so she's separated herself. But then she begins to recognize that she's not really living her life. And she's very separated from it, which was the idea in the first place, of course. And she's just watching it go by. But she doesn't know what else to do. So she goes on living in the moon palace. And remember, the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It's living in reflected light. And she was living in this reflected light of the world. Seeing other people working, having relationships, being in community. And she has, and she wonders, how can they still be interested in doing those things? How is it possible to still be engaged in all that? I, side note, I talked to a guy here a couple of years ago who's lived on Molokai for a long time. It's kind of strange to live here, very separated from a lot of things. And uh, he had gone back to visit his family in Michigan. And I said, well, how was it? And he said, I can't believe people still live like that. <laughs> 
which is actually the way people think about us living here. But it's like, and this woman in the, in the myth is saying, why are people interested in these things, you know, and the difficulties? But she actually gets tired of the moon palace and she decides she wants to come back. And as soon as she gets clear, and this is what happens so often in mythology, as soon as her resolute um, sort of intention, it gets really, really clear, a wise old woman appears immediately and says, oh, you want to come down from the moon palace? No problem. And so the old woman takes a couple of steps and she opens up this little trap door. There's always a portal, right? Opens the trap door of the moon palace and says, look down there. See the earth down there and all the people? And she pulls out a rope and drops it through the trap door and says, now listen, very carefully, here's what you're going to do. You're going to lower yourself down the rope with your eyes closed. You mustn't look while you're lowering yourself down. Just lower yourself down bit by bit. And when you feel that you're almost there, you're going to have to open your eyes and let go and jump fall. It's very important that you let go and jump with your eyes open at the end and don't lose uh, yourself on the way down. Don't, don't let yourself all the way. You have to go close that you understand. And the woman said, yes, she understood. So the old woman departed. So the woman crawled through the trap door and before closing her eyes and going down, she looked and she was shocked that what she thought was this immense journey that the ground was only like eight or nine feet away. It's like really close. So she closed her eyes and she began her descent down the rope little by little. But unfortunately, of course, <laughs> in the tale, she became so taken with the drama of her journey down in her fantasies and her ideals and how wonderful she didn't open her eyes and, and jump before her feet touched the ground. Because of this, the folktale says her feet did touch the ground and she immediately turned to a spider and spent the rest of her life spinning webs. So we have to take this step with eyes open and you have to let go with our eyes open. It's not as far as you think, but it does require some, you know, closing your eyes and going and then feeling your way and then you let go. And you're going to have to have a little bit of a free fall there. Keep your eyes open. The first time I was in a long session at San Francisco Zen Center, and then in the middle of a long sequence of sittings in the afternoon, I heard Blanche say into the Zendo, open your eyes. And it was startling to hear it coming into the space. Did it mean literally open my eyes because I'm sleepy? Or did it mean open your eyes? Leap into the reality of this moment. Leap into the reality of this moment leap into the reality of this moment. You can't figure out what to do and then go do it. You have to do what's next. And then you'll find it. So what does this call forward in you? These stories, this being on the edge, When you open your eyes, what do you see? When you close your eyes and make the descent, what do you discover? What questions do you have? What, what irritating aspects of these things does it bring forward? Let's start with Chris. Hi, Flint. Hey, Chris. I can see exactly how you were when you were having this conversation 
after inquiry with this other group that you spoke I don't I don't remember what word you used firmly no because that's what you did just yeah. now <laughs> you're always alive but you were more alive than usual just now how did you know that I recognize life oh what recognizes life life yes like meets like that's the intimacy that Dogen described Thank you for noticing. Feels like um, love. Not to yes. too strong an exclamation point on it, but it's a lot like that. <clears throat> I am. Um, I am practicing with my craving for drama. Um, as my reactivity has come down and down, um, I'm missing drama. Um, I'm not generating nearly as much of it myself. You're in withdrawal. Yes. From the high. Yes, I am. From. Yeah. Yes, I am. Um, it's been coming to me a lot lately, and um, I noticed it particularly <laughs> in TV and movies. Um, I my taste runs to uh, high impact and well, high impact. I watch. I tend to watch things like. Um, the miniseries on Chernobyl. Um, there was a miniseries called The Looming Tower about 9-11. And I watched things like... So you're, noticing the, you're noticing the differences. Yeah, I'm noticing the differences. So what's the and edge? I, what's your practice edge then now? The practice edge is I'm really not liking these things that I used to watch so much, I've been. Yeah, they be, as you become more sensitive, they become more violent. Yeah. And so this is something to learn because we live in a culture that escalates excitement over intimacy. And as that shifts, it's going to feel different. And a lot of people don't have a stomach for it. It's what John Gladfelter, my therapist, used to say how boring it is uh, when you're uh, healthy. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. It's it's boring and, and I miss the drama and I want to go back to the places where I used to get it. And it's... You can, but it's not going to do it for you. Well, it's turning my stomach a little. That's right. So that's, that's why the, that period I'm speaking about is if you're in withdrawal. Because when you go from the addictive phase into recovery in the middle, you're sick. But you have to put up with it, Chris. And you have to keep going and you have to be nourished in, thing, in ways that you're nourished and be with other people who understand what you're talking about, even if you don't talk about this very much. It right. Will it, it will pass if you'll continue. Let's continue to practice. And continue to speak about it like this so you can get some encouragement. But even telling the stories about how bad it is, is your new form of drama. Yeah. The slippery slope. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm well acquainted with infinitely receding layers. There's just, there's, there's no, you never get down to the bottom layer. There's always more. It's just more and more fine-grained. Practice will always serve you. Awakening will keep opening. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Very helpful kind of uh, questions and reflections. Next. That's it.
morning. Good morning. Um, as usual, there are um, there are questions in there and questions in there, but not fully formed at the start of inquiry. Um, and you say, what questions do you have? And um, what's always amazing and enjoyable is that the things that felt to be questions were things that you addressed without the question having to be asked. Um, so obviously a, a huge mahalo for that. Um, and again, the, the value of, of being in this situation with inquiry and um, with sitting. Um, and, and, and thanks again for um, a huge, huge, huge dose of bliss today. Mm. Um, I love getting on Zoom and getting high. Uh, <laughs> you know. it's something that was opening and nourishing about this. Huh? Oh, are you kidding me? Um, yeah, now you're it, telling me. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> uh, there was the nourishment was so profound. Um, it bordered on overwhelming from time to time, um, which again, that's cool. I'm good with that. Um, but there's death. There was completeness. Um, the guidance, the reminders, the um, I mean, just what you said when we sat, that was a Dharma talk that was priceless for me right then and there. Um, and it addressed from, from when you first started speaking, from when we first started sitting all the way through to now, it addressed everything, everything in my life currently. Um, so, um, I, I was fortunate I got to wipe my eyes before we got on camera here. <laughs> uh, well, let me say, just if you don't mind, I, yeah. you know, it's, I'm, I'm pleased to hear these things because it's nourishing to me. But one of the things I'm even more pleased to hear is that it was nourishing for you, meaning your practice has continued to remove any nourishment barriers that you may have carried around. Mm. So these things move in you now. That's what's important. I'm glad that I might be effective in, in encouraging that. That's great. But I can do that all day long. But when I hear you saying, I opened my mouth and dropped from the branch, I stepped off mm. the pole. And when I didn't die, I was held. And it made a difference. That's that's more important. Well, yes, and there it is. That it went in. That it made a difference. That's the important yeah. thing. So that your yeah. life is still you still got the same challenges you had, you know, at six thirty this morning. You started at seven thirty out of here, <laughs> but but who meets them is a bit different. And who meets them is that person who needed to hear and heard. Um, open your eyes before you let go of the rope. Yeah. So, yeah, as, as a summation, open, open the eyes. Open your eyes. Uh huh. Keep your eye open when you click the shutter. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, so mahalo nui loa um, for everything. Aloha kakua. That's the sort of, uh, you know, you say thank you, the mahalo part, and then aloha kakua is the, you're welcome. God's breath. Hey, John. Hi, Flint. I have two things that they may be so elementary, I don't know if they're in, uh, interesting to this group, but right at the beginning, when you mentioned impermanence, I hate it. I don't want to die someday or tomorrow or in 20 years. I want to live forever. I wish yeah. my grandfather was still alive. I wish my parents were still alive. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know. I guess what is that type of grieving? I don't know. No, it's called uh, telling the truth, John. You're just telling the truth. That's how it is for you. Yes. You have to change that. It's important for you to notice the uh, what it's like to hold or cling to such a view. But all of us have those. There are people we wish wouldn't die. We don't want to die. That's being human. So not clinging to it. What does that mean? That means accepting that you have this thought and you have this longing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to die and I do not want my loved ones to die. Mm -hmm. That's human. It sounds like you're kind of fighting against it. Like when I brought it up, you're like, no, not that. And it's like, right. right. That's part of what it calls up in you is the longing not to die, which we all share. That's not all of you. Mm -hmm. That's a part of you that's going to have to be accepted that you don't want that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the second question is, uh, you talked about just doing what's next or something to that effect. And I don't know, is that something at a kind of a spiritual level or very much a day-to-day -day level? Because what's next I have to do is I have to make an appointment to get my car fixed, uh, maintained, and then go ahead and take the car in tomorrow. Yep, that's it. That's it. Ordinary mind. Okay. One of the old koans person came in and said, um, I've been, you know, practicing. What do I do? You know, wake up. And the guy said, would you eat your breakfast? And they said, yeah, I did. He said, okay, wash your bowl. <laughs> That's cool. You know, it's like, just do the next thing. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, I don't care how many spiritual experiences you have, you're going to have to get the car fixed. Hail, storm comes, you got to get the roof fixed. You're going to have to take care of somebody. You're going to have to go to the doctor and find out good news or bad news. Mm -hmm. That's it. You're, you're right on the money, John. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Hello, Flint. Hi. All this talk about jumping off of a 100-foot pole brings to mind when I did a ropes course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I literally did jump off of maybe not a hundred foot, but you know, a seemed 50, like it. Yeah. A 50 foot pole. And of course, I was attached to a belay line with my friends uh, on the ground. And I remember it distinctly that rather than standing right on the top of the pole, I stood at the step below or two below the top until I was ready. And then I stepped up and I jumped off. Mm -hmm. And there was exhilaration in that moment of stepping off and the freedom that came. I can still feel it in my body. And this must be at least 25 years ago that I did this. The memory of it with, with what you've been talking about um, has to do with the experiences of freedom, however they come. Mm -hmm. They're momentary and they're informative. I learned a lot about myself during that ropes course. Mm -hmm. And they were joyful. Mm -hmm. There's Interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, Go ahead. And, I was going to say, and they passed and it, all the experiences passed. There's another part I'm really interested in. And that's the stepping up. Mm -hmm. Because you had a couple of steps that were required to then step off. Yes. And that's actually the function of uh, ceremony. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess that stepping, it's the stepping up and stepping in. Mm hmm. And that's why we go through all those machinations of, you know, a procession and offering incense and mm -hmm. doing the things that we do that seems a little formulaic sometimes or ritualistic mm -hmm. because we have to step up and step into a space from mm -hmm. which then we step off. Mm -hmm. And the transformation comes with that stepping, but there's a preparation for it and a structure for it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not trying to distract from your 
thing. But I, but the stepping up was really important that you said that, that you, you were a couple of steps away. And then when it was time, when you were ready, you stepped up and yes. you could make the leap. Yes. And you were supported by everybody. Yes. So the other well, thing that these do. Yeah. And that what I'm aware of <clears throat> as you're talking about this, Flint, is, you know, the time it took from to get myself ready to step up. Yes. And it, wasn't, it wasn't that I was wasn't willing. It was my I wasn't my body wasn't giving me the signal yeah. that it's time. That's right. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to sit quietly and in stillness quite a bit. So mm -hmm. we can read those signals that mm -hmm. often we can't pick up in the busyness of our everyday life. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, now, now is the time. Mm -hmm. And it's this. Yes. So your, your story is really useful. Mm -hmm. Not just the part of exhilaration, which is really amazing and fantastic. Mm -hmm. Also that preparation time was so essential. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, thank you. Thank you for noticing that. Because yeah. I, I was thinking in terms of the next person after me, she climbed the pole, she stood up on the pole, and she was so frightened, she stood on the top of the pole for 30 minutes. Wow, that takes a lot, doesn't it? It, it takes a lot. She was so frightened about coming off, and we kept saying, it's more scary to stand on the pole. <laughs> <laughs> But but she couldn't do it. So eventually she came back down. She couldn't jump. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time I tried to go off the high dive. I had to do that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Humiliating. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. You know, at that point in my life, I might have been um, <clears throat> avoiding humiliation by jumping off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I say, which is the worst thing? The climbing <laughs> down is horrible. The jumping off is horrible. Which bad thing do I do? But that's... <laughs> That's the koan, isn't it? You know, that's it the is. up the tree, you know. It is. It is. Well, and it brings to mind on Sunday, I <clears throat> led Sangha and I I um, was notified at the last minute the person who was going to do it got sick and so couldn't. So I grabbed Hadrick Otuma's um, poem that you brought a few weeks ago, The Facts of Life. And what, what keeps going through my mind is the last stanza. And you might as well live. And you might as well love. Everything else is going to happen. We might as well. We might as well live, and we might as well love. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank now, if you stay, stay here, don't go away, and don't take her away, and stay unmuted. And um, so, would you lead the four practice principles now? Yes. Uh, your voice instead of mine. Okay. Caught. In the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thought, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website, and I'm posting it here in the chat. You can also make contributions directly to Flint and all of the teachers. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for being here. And please uh, feel free to stay if you can um, for a little time with Maria and chat with everyone who is available. <laughs>